Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Cleansing Protection Magic. Also, Damien Keller, binaural production engineer, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in becoming a contributor to this podcast, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, um, without any further ado, our guest for today is... I've already forgotten how to say your first name, so I'm going to let you say it. Hey, Simonson. Yes, and he is a parapsychologist, would that be correct? Or at least... Uh, well, uh, I'm a historian of, of ideas and also educated in gestalt therapy and psychosynthesis. Wow, interesting. Um so what got you into, like, I know you wrote a, like a, a history, a book, a short history of parapsychology or paranormal? Well, uh, um, the, the total title is A Short History of Nearly Everything Paranormal. And the subtitle is Our Secret Powers, Telepathy, Clairvoyance, and Precognition. So I think it's... Um, uh, it's a very comprehensive presentation of the most common paranormal phenomenon, uh, phenomena, uh, which would be telepathy, clairvoyance, precognition, and also healing and psychokinesis. So uh, I focus mainly on, say, the paranormal stuff that is related to our world. Uh, I, therefore, I laughed a bit when you made the introduction. It's not the aliens. It's worse. It's us. So <laughs> uh, I focus uh, on our uh, our stuff rather than go to ghosts and aliens. And that it's not that I dis dismiss these spheres of existence, uh, but uh, I focus on the paranormal human sphere, to put it that way. So when did the so where did this all begin? Like when did people really start looking? at these unexplained phenomena? Well, you know, <laughs> we should perhaps uh, reformulate it a bit, because when did this uh, phenomena started to be regarded as something impossible or paranormal even because in uh, indigenous peoples all over the world they are uh, very often uh, considered as being as I, an integrated part of existence of course not everybody is an excellent healer or a great psychic but uh, the shaman uh, in the in the typical indigenous tribe will very often have competence in this field. So it's rather after the scientific revolution in the West, uh, say 1500 to 1700, uh, then we established new models of reality, which has been extremely, say, functional, but still have excluded a large part of what 
earlier was considered to be reality. For instance, within alchemy, within astrology, within Gnosticism, within Hermeticism, and all these esoteric Western traditions, where these phenomena are also seen as quite natural and, say, what you can say, a part of an expanded consciousness. So uh, it's uh, rather the scientific revolution uh, that uh, established a materialist reductionist paradigm that somehow made these phenomena homeless. But uh, as we know, in newer physics, uh, within at least uh, some quantum physicists are quite open to this phenomenon. And the first edition of my book was was released by a publishing house, uh, English Small House uh, in, in Italy, uh, by a quite famous uh, British quantum physicist called David Peat. And he has also written about such phenomena. And uh, he was uh, completely convinced about the existence and his, say, understanding on quantum phys uh, physics and, uh, say, its implication for consciousness uh, say allowed for these phenomena because um, from his perspective consciousness is not just inside my head or inside your head or inside our listeners head but it's uh, an uh, ubiquitous entity is somehow the say uh, basic stuff of, of the universe so uh, with uh, this mod uh, that kind of model it's much more easy to regard say a phenomenon as telepathy as very natural and something that we should expect since we are all say part of this big cosmic consciousness on one level Oh, absolutely. You know, it's kind of interesting that, that um, you know, the paranormal was regarded as a part of nature in the very beginning. And hermeticism in itself was sort of like the early version of our scientific method in a lot of ways. And then somehow that part of it was disregarded and replaced with just physical science. Mm, that's true. And... Uh... Uh, I have written about uh, that also in a book somehow that uh, uh, astrology, uh, say modern astronomy was born out of astrology and modern chemistry was born out of alchemy. And of course, they improved some aspects uh, uh, immensely, but they also, I think it's fair to say, lost something on the way that has been not reintroduced scientifically before in modern times. But as I make a strong point of in my book, that we have excellent stellar scientists, uh, several Nobel Prize winning physicists that are uh, completely convinced about the existence of these phenomena. Uh, so even if it's not a part of mainstream physics, there are, uh, I like to mention often Brian Josephson, uh, who is professor in Cambridge, uh, and he won the Nobel Prize in Physics in, in uh, 1973. And he has written, people can visit his website at the University of Cambridge, Brian Josephson, and there you'll find links to articles in support of telepathy and articles in support of uh, psychokinesis and, and, and other phenomena. And he also is very... Uh, inspired by old Indian uh, philosophy called Vedanta. And he used to be quite an eager meditator when he was younger. I don't know if he has become lazy when he, <laughs> he is uh, past 18, you know, I think. But uh, a great physicist, completely convinced about the reality of these. And also pioneers like Wolfgang Pauli, 
who won the Nobel Prize in 1945 and was recommended for that prize by no less genius than Albert Einstein himself. He also uh, was uh, totally convinced about the existence of these phenomena and even um, uh, experienced uh, many of them himself, especially psychokinesis, things moving spontaneously around him. Uh, which he thought was a kind of, say, uh, physical manifestation of his inner, uh, say, conflicts and chaos. So, uh, and I could go on, you know, but uh, as I said, great physicists uh, defend the existence of these phen phenomena, but the conventional, uh, say, academic uh, models on, on, uh, based on a reductionist materialism uh, will not allow for them. So I suggest instead of if you have a terrain and you have a map, and if there's a mismatch between the terrain and map, of course, you can start going out in the terrain and dig and, you know, uh, <laughs> try to make the terrain fit the map. But rather, I suggest we make a new map. And that is what I uh, say humbly try to do in this book, uh, try to make a new map where these phenomena are included as a part of reality. So what is reality? Ah, that, that's deep. That's deep. You know, that's more philosophy. Uh, but uh, 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 as I said, the old Indian philosophy would say that mind is the basic reality. And if you say view that ontologically, to use the philosophical word, say what is the uh, deepest the being, uh, they would say spirit is the deepest being. And just as or say metaphorically speaking then just as you can make ice cubes out of water so you can say condense spirit into matter uh, so so matter is really on a lower energetic level than spirit in the old indian tradition also in european philosophy uh, the so-called uh, idealist uh, tradition spinoza leibniz uh, Berkeley, many Western philosophers had that uh, say idea that basically behind uh, the material wor world, uh, there was spirit as the origin of everything. And uh, of course, if you say was part of uh, the Christian tradition, you would often refer to that spirit as say God or think of it as the Christian God. And so uh, that is not necessary. Spinoza, for instance, he was Jewish and uh, had his uh, roots in Kabbalah. He had kind of pantheistic view that God is present in everything and is not a person in, in say, in the normal Judo-Christian, say, sandstone. But there's many ways to, 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 to view what is the deepest reality. In modern times, um, it has been suggested that perhaps information could be the deepest level. Uh, because, say, if you go to our genetics, uh, our genetic code, that is information. The internet is information. The structure of the molecules and atoms, it's information in a way. So perhaps information should be uh, seen as the deepest level, which should go very well together, in fact, with the old spiritualistic traditions, because somehow information and consciousness intuitively, we, we <laughs> I think most people will feel that they are, are closely interrelated in a way. So there's many things, and I, I, I of course, am not here to to, to, to uh, say what is called preach uh, what kind of philosophy people are uh, should have, but at least it ought to be a philosophy that can include these phenomena, because if you have to somehow uh, deny aspects of reality, then your philo philosophy is uh, not really valid. And I feel the, say, reductionist materialist paradigm 
that has been uh, prevalent in science uh, is not accounting for these phenomena and therefore cannot be the truth. So I suggest at least five other models, uh, say roads to, 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 but I also said that the person finding out which is the deepest reality probably will win a string of Nobel prizes. So I am not that ambitious. Do you think that quantum physics helps bridge the gap between physical science and the metaphysical? Yes, definitely. Or it can be a, a help. Uh, Brian Josephson, the uh, Nobel Prize uh, winner in physics uh, from Cambridge, he said uh, he does not think um, quantum physics is see, uh, say, the end of the road, but it can be uh, very helpful because, uh, for instance, the concept of non-locality, we know from experience in laboratories, um, <clears throat> uh, I can... Um, uh, recapitulate uh, most basic experiments, uh, if, uh, if you like. Um, if you collide two electrons uh, in a kind of, it's called cyclotron, you know, ac accelerator, uh, then uh, it will be in that uh, collision, it will be born uh, <laughs> two uh, photons, particles of light, and they will hurtle on in uh, opposite direction. And what is really magical is <clears throat> that if one uh, one of those are going uh, up, the other will go down, even if they are 10 kilometers, 100 kilometers apart. And if the one go to the left, the other one will go to the right. So the, uh, the movements mirror each other, even if they, by all normal sense uh, of um, understanding of space, is totally split off from each other. So still, they act as being connected. So, uh, of course, that does not prove that, say, telepathy is a reality. But, uh, hey, if those uh, photons are connected over extremely large uh, distances and have a kind of non-local connection, uh, what if consciousness had the same uh, uh, quality being uh, non-local and entangled and uh, connected over big distances? So, at least, uh, I think it's fair to say uh, even if we cannot say that the models of quantum physics uh, prove anything, they at least uh, suggest or open to, uh, say, kind of explanation to these phenomena. And that will be also a step somehow to open to, say, a non-reductionist, not, uh, that not everything is matter. Also, some branches of uh, quantum physics, they will say that without consciousness, it's not possible to somehow understand the world because um, what that's kind of quite complex and I'm not a professional physicist even I've read quite a lot of it but uh, uh, they say that uh, when you observe a phenomenon uh, you the, the quantum waves collapse and then it somehow it's frozen uh, before that it's just a possibility so consciousness is uh, a very crucial element of creating the world uh, so there was another Nobel Prize winner called Evgen uh, Wigner, and he thought uh, without a ubiquitous consciousness in the universe that was ever present and, say, observing the world, the world could not uh, become manifest at all. That was his take on that. He was also very inspired by the old Indian Vedanta philosophy. So very profound philosophical questions and nothing is proved. My, my, my uh, humble task is to 
present the scientific uh, and also quite a lot of anecdotal uh, funny evidence for the existence of these phenomena and thereby showing that the reductionist uh, paradigm is, you know, uh, <laughs> is ready for the bin. So what are some of the um, phenomena that you present in your book that is unusual? Uh, as I said, basically, uh, I focus mainly on telepathy mm -hmm. and clairvoyance and uh, also precognition. Telepathy is reading the mind and sending thoughts to other people, like a telepathic email. <coughs> and clairvoyance is like uh, what I call, uh, 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 say, a download from uh, making downloads from the mental internet. This ubiquitous collective consciousness I refer to, uh, or uh, say, I name. Uh, uh, it the mental internet uh, just or uh, similar like you have uh, as a uh, electronical internet uh, i think that these phenomena are best understood if you also hypothesize uh, a, a mental internet um, and by the models of quantum physics and non-locality that internet should be quite easy to imagine so just because uh, when i am online if you are in australia or if you are in russia or england it's just the same if you're online, you're online. So, and just like when you are in spirit or in consciousness, I think my idea of consciousness, then you are somehow connected with everybody else that are uh, in, in, say, in the field of consciousness. Do you think that the human mind is the computer, or do you think that the human mind is more of a receiver or a little bit of both? A little bit of both, uh, but it's of course, um, I use the computer model as uh, since I call this say collective field of consciousness, the mental internet, it somehow follows from the metaphor that we are the computers being connected to that net. And in, in, and, uh, uh, in so far uh, uh, for, for exchange of information, I think that's a very say uh, fortunate metaphor to think of the, say the big field of consciousness as an internet and uh, uh, us as being the computers on telephones and tablets connected to that net. But there is a, a very important, uh, say, difference there. Uh, because uh, even if it's extremely complex computer, computer, it will probably, as far as we know, not be conscious of itself. And there, there is, a, say, uh, a great gap between the human consciousness because I can reflect uh, over my own reflection. I'm not now sitting here and thinking that I am thinking, but a computer, even if being into extremely complex uh, integral mathematics or whatever, uh, will not know what it is doing. So uh, the level of self-consciousness seems to be, as I a gap that cannot be bridged with the existing theories of consciousness. That is a very, uh, st just stop me from speaking too much. <laughs> so uh, 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 the last uh, year's Nobel Prize winner of physics, uh, Sir Roger Penrose, is English. Uh, and by the way, he has worked together with uh, the guy who published my book. Um, he is not only a physicist, he's also a philosopher of mind. And I think it was in 1984, he launched a book called uh, the, uh, the, the Emperor's New Mind. And there he says, the, all these computation models of consciousness, they do not account for self-consciousness. As I said, even if doing extremely complex calculations, a computer will 
most likely not be aware of itself for one split second. So uh, what is constitutes this uh, enigma of self-consciousness then? And that also another philosopher of mine uh, called David Chalmers says that that is the real hard question, not how uh, we connect with the other world or how we somehow imagine the world in our mind and what kind of brain chemistry makes uh, this and that process uh, going on. Uh, and so, of course, all these things are important, but being self-conscious, conscious experience of self, that is a qualitatively different thing that cannot just you cannot just add up computation and then get self-consciousness that is sir roger penrose the nobel prize winning physicist point in this emperor's new mind and he has also worked uh, out this theory which is called uh Orch or uh, with an american anesthesiologist at uh, the arizona university uh there's dr stuart hammeroff and they have made yeah, easy to find uh, videos at many videos with 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 Stuart Hammeroff and he also says that their model of consciousness uh, based on non-locality quantum non-locality as I explained with this photon and so uh, allows for telepathy as he sees at and Sir Roger he has also said that uh, he thinks uh, their model uh, allows for uh, precognition and knowing at least uh, a bit of the future before it happens and he said that he is not done the maths for what else their model allows for so he would avoid speculating about that and he is definitely no new age but at least he has confirmed that he thinks that precognition could be possible within their model so there we got it the most uh, excellent scientists and the most modern theories of mind seems to at least be open to include this uh, phenomena as opposed to say conventional academic psychology do you think that it is possible that we exist in some type of consciousness um, that is trying to understand itself? And in order to understand itself, it has to run a, say, like a, a every possible probability. So everything, every probability that it, it, there is, it has to run through in order mm. to understand itself. And part mm. of that process is creating many consciousnesses mm. that are self-aware mm. and then absorb those back into itself. Yes. I uh, I have a great affinity to the theory you mentioned there, but of course it's difficult to prove, but I'm very open to that. And uh, um, uh, some of my personal gurus, for instance, the great German Swiss author Hermann Hesse, he thought of it that way. Uh, and he was very also inspired by both Indian philosophy and also old Chinese philosophy. So I, I, I think uh, I tend to be a bit in, in in that camp you you described there but as i said this is so profound questions you know so it's very uh difficult to somehow declare anything proven or something but uh, i like the way of thinking and it seems to also go very well together with what you see in nature you know we have come if even if you don't believe in uh say creation we have come from 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 Amoeba in the, the primordial ocean to, to our extremely complex beings. It seems to be that consciousness somehow is organizing itself on more and more complex mm -hmm. levels. 
Yes, so so you can be a Christian and think of it that way, and you can be an atheist and still think of it on that way. Uh, so so it's no problem, uh, say, uh, unifying that uh, view of reality with any say main kind of a philosophy uh, in, in or religion. In, in my view, uh, also you know the the Muslims have their Sufi tradition, which is quite philosophical and also mm-hmm. thinks uh, yeah yeah, and and the Jewish uh, tradition has the Kabbalah, where you have what is called Adam Kadman, the disc also in one sense a kind of cosmic consciousness being uh, becoming conscious in you know the big adam and our we are small adams you know so so what you say uh, you also somehow imply a hermetical concept there you know that the microcosmos somehow resembles the macrocosmos so for me it makes a good sense but you know if people are not open to it it's it's not really my task because then we are into to more the see philosophy philosophical framework around these um, phenomena. Uh, the book is much of the phenomena, and I say what I want to do is not to discover the deepest uh, or uh, explain the deepest uh, say mysteries of the world. Of course not, but rather to do a little uh, chiropractic, you know, to 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 crack and the need on stiffened muscles and joints, you know, to, because we have really had a stiffened uh, paradigm, uh, this re- reductionist materialism. So it's, uh, I, I say my intention is chiropractic and not, not being a preacher. So, but when you have somehow softened this uh, old paradigm, then there's many ways to go. And, and I think uh, so, so, and that would be up to the seeker to, to somehow follow what, uh, his and her some inclination uh, leads to you know for some people find a very uh, say good home within indian philosophy and i got U- jewish friends of course that have found their home in in that tradition and so so i will not say somehow that one mm-hmm. philosophy uh, so yeah you understand what i mean plus they're all pretty similar anyway the indian the the kabbalah um Taoism, so, some shaman traditions. Um, there are many similarities. Yeah, yeah there's, in, there, there's more similarities than there are differences, I think. Uh, it's especially if you look at the esoteric traditions in mm-hmm. the different, uh, yeah, for instance, Sufism in Islam and uh, and Christian mysticism within Christianity and Kabbalah within the Judaism. And so the esoteric traditions have very, very much in common. But still, for instance, the Indian chakra uh, system, it somehow resembles the Kabbalistic. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, I have the, a poster but, of it on my wall. <laughs> oh, you have uh, the Otskaim. Yes, the tree, tree of life, the see Sefirot. Can, see it over there? Uh, it's kind of small here. Ah, there I see it, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> great. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, so, but uh, say if you uh, if you do chakra meditations, for instance, in after the Indian tradition, or if you do, do Kabbalistic meditation, connecting the different Sefirot mm-hmm. on the tree of life, uh, uh, for instance. Uh, uh, the Hara Chakra being very important in, in Indian tradition and also in, say, uh, Japanese tradition in Zen Buddhism. Uh, in the Kabbalah, that is placed somewhat lower. Uh, Yesod, I think it's called, isn't it? So so uh, it's more like closer to the genitals and so. so uh, and that might be because of the training within the different esoteric traditions somehow. Yeah. Yes, have uh, if you have meditated on one aspect and somehow you will 
say anchor uh, your consciousness on that specific part in your body but if you followed another tradition you have tend to focus on the part so many 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 similarities and probably the basic similarity that consciousness is uh, deep down ubiquitous but also some differences so i will not uh, say make the mistake and say everything is just the same it is not uh, mm -hmm. just as we have different skin color we have different languages yeah. you know but there is uh, as you said it's more that is common than than divides us mm -hmm. it's interesting because those are types of practices and meditations that tie into what your book is about which is the telepathy the clairvoyance all those things or awaken through through a lot of those meditative type of practices yes uh, yes that is uh, kind of that but as we know the buddhists for instance say in the buddhist tradition they are uh, totally convinced of the reality of these phenomena but they still don't focus on them because they say that can be a trap because yeah. then you yeah because oh you're so interested in reading you know it's kind of being a peeping tom within others minds you know uh, or you can even start power games because you know more than other people and all that so the buddhist uh, you have to be very discerning how you develop develop yourself so you should always try to somehow develop a harmonious and grounded personality as a whole and then i think uh, these phenomena will find their proper function within the totality of your being absolutely one of the things that i find interesting too is uh, is it seems like these this phenomenon um, was more prevalent in ancient times and less prevalent now or 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 now is like it's almost like it was it was, it was um, common knowledge, then it fell into obscurity, and just like like I would say for me like maybe like in the last 20, 30 years, it sort of started coming back out into the general public and general awareness. Mm. Yes, there are uh, change are happening definitely. Um, uh, I. Uh, um, uh, after, say, the 60s, you know, when people started uh, doing lots of meditation and also taking psychedelics, many, many, many people had experiences of, say, reading other people's minds and all that kind. And then it's more difficult to deny, uh, to deny uh, when you're, uh, you know, seeing is believing and perceiving is also believing in a way. So, so that that's true. But still, there is. Um, a lot of resistance because the models, as I said, if you have this reductionist uh, uh, materialist paradigm, it's very difficult somehow to account for these phenomena. But I like to very often refer to uh, the most prestigious journal in the world uh, within psychology, within academic psychology, is um, uh, is American Psychologist, which is released um, by APA, uh, American Psychological Association. And in uh, uh, the May issue of 2018, they had an article which is called The Experimental Evidence for Parapsychological Phenomena, a review. And that is written by a very, uh, say, well-regarded, well-respected professor, Etzel Cardenia. He is Mexican, but he has been having scholarships with some of the best universities in the United States. And he is now tenured at Lund University in Sweden, which is a quite prestigious university mm -hmm. also internationally. And uh, Professor Cardenia, who has written uh, or contributed to more than 300 scientific articles, which is enormous, he concludes uh, his, uh, say, meta 
analysis, what is called, you know, when you go uh, through all the research within a field, it's called a meta-analysis. And after concluding his meta-analysis, he sums it up uh, like, yes, these phenomena are real, but we have not yet reached a model that everybody can agree on for explaining them. And, you know, when the most prestigious psychological uh, journal in the world print an article that strongly, say, corroborates these phenomena, it speaks volumes. It says that they take this, of course, uh, the editorial board does not necessarily to subscribe to, to Cardenas' view here, but uh, at least they take it seriously and allowing its uh, uh, space uh, in the extremely prestigious pages. So I think that is a kind of a sea change within the field. Also in a couple of other, um, say, very uh, well-regarded academic journals, uh, there has been uh, printed um, uh, articles in support of these phenomena. But uh, this in uh, American psychology, that this is really the pinnacle of prestige when it comes to psychology. So uh, I would, uh, some of the uh, audience here uh, being interested in, in, um, in the scientific uh, proof of this, uh, except for my book, they should uh, also uh, read uh, Cardenas' article. As I said, American Psychologist, uh, 2018, May issue, Etzel Cardenas. It's interesting that you mentioned about them, like, acknowledging that the phenomena exists. However, they have not been able to come up or agree on a specific model for it. Yes. And we were just talking about how different traditions have different interpretations of that model. Yes. I wonder sometimes, like, what if the model itself is kind of fluid, you know, and changing mm -hmm. and flexible? Like, it doesn't have to be specific. Like it can be more of an individual type of thing. I that's a very good point. I think uh, uh, so. But still, you know, uh, if you are into parapsychology and doing experiments in a lab, you should have some say uh, <laughs> prerequisite thoughts about uh, uh, the nature of consciousness to to test things out. You know, to to be able to make any conclusion at all. Uh, but uh, I I'm, I'm, uh, basically have very much sympathy for you, uh, your view there because, you know, that is also a deep uh, philosophical uh, issue. Uh, perhaps on some level, you know, we have, uh, we, have uh, we, share, uh, we share a common world and a common uh, consciousness, I think. But at the same time, we are, have also our own individualistic perception um, so uh, I'm a bit afraid of going there philosophically because that is called a solipsism, and that was uh, kind uh, in in vogue in uh, in say the 1830s, 1840s in Germany, uh, and that kind of philosophy, people uh, felt certainly extremely lonely because somehow they were alone in their own world. Uh, so it uh, it uh, caused a, a, a kind of mass conversation into Catholicism, the mother church afterwards, you know, mm -hmm. and I think somehow we need to feel connected. But that said, uh, there clearly is a strong individual component in in every perception, really, of, of the world. So, uh, as you said, the model has to to be kind of fluid to allow for that. Yeah. Um... So what do you think 
the what is behind clairvoyance and telepathy? Do you think it is what um, Einstein would have called spooky distance? Mm-hmm. Yes, that was the phenomenon I described again with the photons uh, being created by mm-hmm. the collision of electrons. And uh, uh, before that uh, experiment uh, was done in a laboratory uh, that has been done several times, so we know this to be true now. Uh, uh, but uh, as you, you, you refer to Einstein's, uh, Einstein understood that this um, would uh, be a kind of consequence of quantum theory, and he found it to be kind of impossible, and therefore called it spookhafte fernwirkung, <laughs> spooky action at a distance. Distance, yes. Uh, so I, I am quite open to that, and many quantum physicists are open to that uh, view. But as I said, then again, we are uh, into philosophy uh, uh, of the world. Uh, I am also quite uh, quite a lot like uh, David Bohm's theory, and his view was the world as a hologram where each little part of the world somehow contains information about the rest of the world as they say the droplet mirrors the universe Mm -hmm. so that's that's a a, a totally uh he was a (laughs) extremely well-regarded physicist he was from the united states but because of the mccarthy time you know where people was uh people were a bit too afraid for communism perhaps uh he was a kind of a mild socialist uh, is my uh, perception of him he he went to brazil and then to england but he was very well regarded in the say uh, physicist community so he he uh, viewed as i said the world as a hologram and there it's no problem say thinking of telepathy because of somehow as i said uh, the drop reflects the universe and uh, you can think of lots of raindrops all mirroring each other you know uh, the universe is uh, completely and totally and continuously interactive with itself uh, and uh, that is bones uh, say basically his view of it and he also did quite uh, a number of experiments within parapsychology and uh, was uh, convinced that these phenomena uh, were real so his model also allows for this uh, we do not need to to just have this uh, uh, say normal way of spookhaft fernwork and spooky action at a distance. I am that uh, that is one model that allows for it, and uh, Bohm's uh, hologram model also allows for it. Mm-hmm. And I suggested three more models at least in my book. You know, so uh, again, uh, let's be chiropractic and just get uh, uh, soften a bit of this materialist paradigm, and then we can do science and uh, do meditation and try to somehow uh, investigate. Uh, what is the most likely or the be- the better model that will explain most? Yeah, and, and also um, Carl Jung also had his collective consciousness theory too, oh, yes. which I think sort of falls into all this too. Oh yes, very uh, yes. Of course, uh, it's impossible to go into these fields without some on some level being inspired by Jung, uh, either directly or indirectly. I have read quite a lot of Jung. He's very complicated, but uh, yeah. As, yeah, he is, you know, he, he was a yeah. doctor of yeah. the old school, loving Latin and Greek and uh, yeah, and referring to hermetic text and alchemy and gnosis and everything, you know, so it's uh, it's quite a treat. Uh, but yes, Jung's uh, collective, he's, uh, he had lots of uh, paranormal experiences. Uh, himself. Uh, the most easily available Jung, I, I, by his own hand, in his own hand, is his autobiography, uh, Dreams, Memories, Reflections. Yeah, uh, there he, 
yes, it, uh, he will relate a lot of paranormal experiences there. Uh, and also there's a little book uh, uh, by Frida Fordham. Uh, it's called Introduction to y uh, Jung's Philosophy. And he himself has written the foreword there So and, and recommends that book. So those two books could uh, work as a good introduction. And uh, he said his work with uh, schizophrenic patient was quite... Uh, uh, instrumental there because um, he found that some of these uh, schizophrenic patients, uh, persons without any education at all, suddenly reproduced material that was uh, visual material, pictures, symbolic and uh, other things that uh, was um, just uh, they uh, strange symbolism and imagery only known to, to researchers of in gnosis and alchemy, you know. So these people having uh, being uh, almost an alphabet and uh, at least having no education they, it was not likely at all that they have seen these old texts and books you know so and suddenly uh, it occurred to uh, Jung and it was a dream he had um, that he went into a cave uh, or into a house and suddenly uh, he went uh, he went down to the cellar of that house and suddenly he also found that below below the cellar of this house uh, was a cave you know so then you go and be uh, back to the really really ancient layers of 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 consciousness um and uh there yeah, you know the archetypes uh, so jung thought that uh, all human experience through the generation was uploaded in this collective field and stored so it's a, a vast storehouse of human experience and uh, and suddenly it struck him that these schizophrenic patients when they produced material uh, that was only known to researchers aha they took it directly from the collective uh, unconscious that was uh, and there is a quite famous interview uh, with Jung, it is on uh, on uh, YouTube easily to uh, easily find, and it was done by the BBC. I think it was 1952. And then uh, the interviewer asks Jung uh, after Jung relates this uh, that he thought this schizophrenic patient somehow uh, downloaded directly from the collective sphere and had not their knowledge from books. Uh, uh, the interviewer asked, aha, so you you felt this proved to you there was a collective uh, sphere in consciousness or something like that. Uh, and then Jung said, no, it didn't prove it to me, but it was a hint. And I took the hint. And, uh, you know, Jung researched so many uh, spiritualistic mediums and uh, he late, relates so many both telepathic and precognitive experiences. So, so it's, uh, it's impossible not to know where to start. But uh, yes, and uh, his research in this field uh, was very important. And uh, also uh, he wrote a book together with uh, this uh, Nobel Prize winning physicist Wolfgang Pauli uh, in a book called Synchronicity. Uh, I think it's called The Marriage of Matter and Mind. It's the subtitle, I think. Uh, I might be wrong on the wording there, but uh, at least synchronicity. And Jung thinks that this collective uh, field of consciousness also organizes what we experience often as strange but meaningful coincidences. And especially if you are a personal crisis, go deep into yourself and uh, <laughs> deep into the subconscious mind. Uh, somehow you will tend to produce meaningful coincidences that can act as guidance on your personal uh, development uh, way. So that is also an interesting aspect that you somehow uh, how, how communicate or, or have exchanges with this collective 
and consciousness and in a helpful way. So we are not isolated, atomic, you know, just lost inside in inside our individualistic head, but we are part of this vast human, say, sphere of experience. And we also can benefit from that. And we can, we will also, again, benefit that. Uh, Jung said the only way we could uh, escape a third world war was that uh, many enough would go into, uh, say, the depth of themselves and harmonize themselves. Because it's, it's like if you have a well, and it's a dead rat laying mm -hmm. in the well. Yeah, and, you know, uh, the, the water will be contaminated and poisoned, you know. But if you uh, remove that dead rat, uh, and uh, suddenly uh, the well, after having flowed a bit, it will be clean again. And so also, uh, Jung taught, uh, taught of this vast ocean of consciousness. If we go deep into ourselves with meditation and therapy and so, and remove the inner rotting rats, <laughs> we will benefit uh, the totality of being. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would agree with that. Um, it, it's just, it, it is fascinating how, how all these things fit together. Because like, 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 as soon as I think of like Young's collective consciousness, then the next thing that would pop into my head is like the Indian version of the Akashic Records. Yes. You know, it's, which is essentially the same thing. You know, yeah, yeah, uh, definitely, or at least closely related. Uh, if you first uh, accept the premise that consciousness is ubiquitous, somehow being ever present throughout the universe, then, of course, it will be, uh, as you said, the Akashic Records, uh, it's a uh, collective memory and uh, Jung of course had read Indian philosophy mm -hmm. so his his uh, say collective unconsciousness uh, 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 apart from his own say philosophizing around it it's also based on these ancient traditions and also my in in all uh, humility my uh, concept the mental internet is of course based on Jung and the gnosis and alchemy and the internet. it's just to make it uh, more easily accessible for modern folks because we more or less all of us in uh, at least the western world uh, visit the internet daily and then we know that uh, information it can be shared in a split second over vast distances and we know we can share information we can download information we can sell uh, emails you know so so it's an extremely good metaphor for how uh, this collective sphere is uh, working uh, that is at least my perception so how do you think knowledge of things like telepathy clairvoyance um accessibility to um you know unlimited information through consciousness do, do you think that will improve humanity with uh bringing all this stuff out and practices to to wake those things back up uh, yes, uh, given that it's done in a harmonious way, I refer to the Buddhist tradition that will not uh, say uh, over focus on these phenomena because that can uh, lead astray. So you have to somehow uh, just as say if you are a good rock musician and all you do is play guitar, but your social IQ is uh, below the freezing point, you know, you can become a ter terrible person. Uh, so uh, your music would somehow could... Uh, make uh, give lots of joy to to to, to uh, persons you know uh, all over the world that is somehow uh, contaminated by by your lousy personal uh, development to put it that way so uh, um, i have for instance here in sweden uh, you know norway is 
uh, next neighbor to Sweden. And uh, there was a famous case in, um, in Sweden some years ago. There were two very clairvoyant ladies, mother and daughter. And, you know, they, uh, I've spoken with the mother there. And uh, I think they are quite, at least uh, she was quite gifted, as I perceived it. Uh, they used the ability to, 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 to pressure a, a bank uh, employee for money because they somehow read his mind and uh, uh, he was in a personal crisis, you know, so they yeah. could use their telepathic abilities to, to, to really, uh, excuse me, screw him. Mm -hmm. uh, and they ended up, uh, 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 yeah, the police caught them because of that. So uh, even if they were very, say, able within telepathy, uh, the ethics was stinking. So you have to always, uh, Rudolf Steiner, you know, he was the founder of anthroposophy, which is a kind of, say, modernized uh, Western uh, form of uh, theosophy. And uh, Steiner said that uh, for each step you walk in, uh, say, esoteric knowledge, you should walk two, two steps in ethics. So you have always to balance the development, these abilities with ethics. Others you can be, you know, there are so many guru stories, you know, and mm -hmm. people are, yeah, you know, and they, they are sexually exploited and the guru is uh, doing tax evasion and all that kind of things uh, because they perhaps have some abilities. They can be charismatic. They might have some uh, insight in the, how the mind works and even be gifted within telepathy and clairvoyance as some of them having practiced meditation for many years are but uh, you can just uh, uh, google uh, guru and uh, and scandal and you will find so many <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely with these things at the very least you want to would want to commit yourself not to not to cause any harm yes at the very least mm. Um, how about you personally? Have you ever experienced any of these things? Oh, yes, quite a lot. Uh, not any dramatic. Uh, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not uh, the Buddha or something like that. But uh, uh, that is part of why I became interested in both their own experiences and also trusted friends and family. And uh, I also, when I really wanted to go into this, I consulted a lot of, of professional psychics and found out what they are good at and what they are not good at and what they may vary quite a lot at, you know. So, uh, but uh, my own experiences uh, have been also, uh, say, uh, functional as a wake-up call to, to this sphere of reality. Definitely so. So what kind of experiences have you had? Oh, uh... Uh, some are quite complex uh, synchronicities, you know, coincidences being out of uh, out of this world, you know, and uh, uh, so some complex change of, of uh, interactions uh, that is difficult. But um, yeah, to make it quite simple, it was a girlfriend of mine that uh, I had not seen for a very, very long time. Uh, one year and we have not communicated in any any way. Um, and then suddenly one morning when I was just between, you know, dream and uh, awake, and uh, that is uh, this, uh, what is Bardo field, uh, or what you would call it, um, there's like, um, yeah, the, what is called the borderline field there between dreaming and, and, and uh, being awake. And then I suddenly uh, I met my girlfriend in, in the dream. And as I said, we had not been communicated uh, in any sense for one year. 
and and uh, in this uh, say half dream the half awake uh, half dream uh, we uh, gave uh, a little kiss to each other uh, not any erotic thing just a kind of little friendly kiss and then i woke up and uh, it suddenly struck me today i will meet her uh, and as i said one year since last time and uh, i went to my uh, regular cafe i went in and after 10 minutes she suddenly appeared and she had never been to that cafe before you know just just like a small things <laughs> of coincidences yes and also um also, I was, uh, that is, uh, I perhaps can't be able to, to make a simple uh, presentation of that. Uh, there was a guy that had disappeared and uh, they were somehow doing research uh, via Facebook. Uh, have anyone seen this guy? Have anyone seen this guy? Have anyone seen this guy? And he was an uh, former equivalent, Norwegian equivalent to U.S. Marines, an elite soldier. So even if he was uh, had disappeared in in a forest, people thought he might survive because you know they learned quite a lot of survival techniques. So I was wondering quite a lot of uh, of that. Um, and suddenly, uh, I'm thinking, what's happened with this guy? What happened this guy? What happened this guy? And suddenly, I got a vision in my dream, and I saw a mummified corpse laying within the root system of some pine trees or that, that kind of that kind of trees. Um, and also, uh, right before uh, that uh, mummified corpse, uh, there was some blueberry bushes. And just to make a long story short, uh, a few days after, this guy was found in the forest by a person picking blueberries. Wow. Like that. You know. hmm. Such things. <laughs> That's interesting. That's a good one. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um. So what do you think about life after death? Do you, do, do, very, you think, do you think the consciousness continues without the body? Uh, very difficult question, but I use uh, the last chapter of my book. It's called Our Paranormal Daily Life. And I use quite a lot of space there on the research on reincarnation done by Ian Stevenson. It's quite mm -hmm. famous, but yeah. also uh, his, uh, say, uh, uh, what is called his, his, his heir, uh, who's taken on the uh, taking over the relay button in our time, uh, Jim Tucker, um, uh, Virginia University. Uh, so they have some stunning cases, and you know, children telling about having lived there and there and that and that town. And uh, uh, Stevenson went to that and that town and found in 1954 there had in fact been living a person having experienced that and died in that specific uh, way. The child have. Uh, have 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 told about you know so uh, um, uh, so uh, clearly uh, many of these cases are confirmed in uh, uh, in that way that the information provided by the child uh, by the child telling about earlier lives uh, was uh, proven or say substantiated what uh, Stevenson found in official archives but of course uh, ch uh, children are very open. Uh, mm -hmm. So perhaps the, this child or this child, because there are many child, uh, in fact, one of, one of my friends uh, had experienced these things. Um, so uh, couldn't it be that the child just was being very sensitive and cl clairvoyant and downloading this information 
correctly from the mental internet, right. from the cost. Yes. So how do we know that this child had to live in this town in 1954 uh, to, to, to gain the information? I, I like to, to, to compare with if I go to YouTube and I see a video uh, with Elvis Presley dancing and singing. I used to be a great Elvis fan when I was young. Uh, so uh, and then I uh, go to a friend uh, and tell him about what I saw and what Elvis was singing when he was moving and so on and so on. Yes, I know quite a lot about Elvis then. But does that mean that I am suddenly become a reincarnation of Elvis Presley? No, of course not. So uh, to get, get access to information, uh, that is not the same as being a reincarnation of the person, say, generating that information. So many of these cases, people tend to rush to conclusions, because uh, if a child presents correct information from another country, even uh, other time, then they think, aha, that must be the child having lived there. Not necessarily so. It could be so. So, uh, so how do we divide between just, say, strong clairvoyant, uh, clairvoyant uh, download of information and reincarnation? Well, uh, Stevenson found, and also Tucker has found, that in about, I think, one out of five, uh, five cases, there will also be uh, scars and birthmarks on uh, the child resembling the story they're telling. So, for instance, uh, a, 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 a boy was telling a story that he had lived there and there and had been shot uh, at a specific part in his body. And uh, when they uh, looked at his body, there was a scar, uh, a kind of uh, a strong birthmark, just where he had described the, the bullet went in. And there was also a guy, you know, I uh, saw one who was uh, somehow uh, chopped with a machete in the back of his head, you know, and he told, uh, he told that he had been in a kind of gang fight or something and been chopped down with a machete. And you can see the scars at the back of his head, you know. So uh, that suggests to me that there is a kind of continuation between the, the former life and this life. If we should we say it's full identity, uh, you know, there, for instance, is there some somewhat difference between uh, Buddhism and, and, and Hinduism and, and different esoteric tradition. But at least, as I say, some continuation between lives. I'm quite convinced about that, uh, mainly based on, on, on the research done by Stevenson and, and also stories I've, I've heard myself. Do you think it's a continuation of life? Or do you think that there's another possibility, which is everything is happening at one time and we're mm. experiencing all these lives at one time rather than in a linear way? That's a very profound question. Uh, I, um, I tend to be very open to the perspective you suggest there. Uh, but still, you know, uh, the linear time also, as I said, if you don't pay your rent on time, your landlord will uh, somehow <laughs> make you hear it. So there is something to linear time uh, in both a good and a bad way, I think. Uh, the, the good way is uh, the possibility of development, because if there is no linearity at all, if uh, everything is just being present, then it's mere self-identity and end of story, perhaps. So the linearity perhaps is necessary to, to, to make some improvement. But at the same time, for instance, death and, uh, and uh, other uh, less uh, pleasant uh, things uh, is also part of, uh, of the linear 
view of things. It might be uh, on different levels. On some level, you know, uh, the Kabbalah have uh, many levels of consciousness. You have the you have the ruach, you have the nefesh, you have the neshama, you have many so on. Perhaps just like the, in the wheel, the center of the wheel, the innermost, innermost, innermost center of the wheel is never moving. But the rest of the wheel is moving more or less. And the further you get from the center, the more movement it is. Perhaps it's possible to combine some kind of movement and some kind of stillness in that way that there is a kind of uh, silent centers being ever present. Uh, uh, Deepak Chopra is very fond of that perspective. Uh, you know, there is this I am that is somehow transcendent uh, uh, towards all. Uh, say being and uh, experience so that is say the gaze of god reflecting all the rest and the gaze itself is not part of that it's just kind of reflection or, or say conscious reflection of what processes uh, are going on 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 the lower uh, lower level of existence but again quite uh, complex philosophy so i'm i'm open to what you suggest but i i will not say i know anything Mm -hmm. The one thing that, that for me that it does explain is uh, precognition and prophecy. Yeah. You know, because for those things to exist, that means that there probably would be no linear time. However, then, then linear time, in not, like, one of the other issues is if there's no linear time, then another question would be, is there free will? Exactly. And I raised the question in my book a couple of places, but I don't uh, dare to answer it. And I, uh, <laughs> and, I, uh, <laughs> and I again suggest that there will be a string of Nobel Prizes waiting for the person who, who, who solves that riddle. Hmm. But it's a very, very profound question. I, you know, I have had some uh, quite a lot of precognitive experiences. Uh, uh, I, I, I has, uh, I'm a bit hesitant to, to go into detail about it. Something is quite personal and something is a bit too long, uh, too detailed. But uh, uh, at least I have enough uh, personal experience from having seen the future quite a lot of time to, to somehow uh, perceive the, uh, the future to be part of the present, really. It's just, as I said, if you uh, are, uh, for instance, if you are taking the train from New York to, to California, for instance, mm -hmm. and uh, if you go on the train in, in New York and you will not see California uh, when you enter the train in New York. But of course, California is there all along, but you don't see it. You need time to come there and see it but it has been there all the time. So mm -hmm. it's your limited perspective somehow. But if you then enter a helicopter in New York and you, you rise and you rise and you rise and you rise, and then you find, uh, you, you, you take out your telescope and, and view, if it's a good telescope, you can see California there already from New York. So it seems to depend very much on perspective this. So perhaps in, in, in different kind of, uh, say, altered states of consciousness, there is no, uh, the, the, say, as you say, there is no linear time, but there might also be no contradiction between destiny and freedom. Uh, but as I said, 
extremely complex question this uh, so i have for my own personal i have been quite confused about this uh, because for instance if you have a strong vision that a friend of you will die in a car crash should you go to him or her and say uh, please don't go to uh, this uh, fair or at least don't use the car to take your bike or a bus or something because i have seen that you will crash of course it's a good thing to do but they they could declare you crazy or paranoid or something like that so uh, it's uh, or if you have seen that is it possible to change it wouldn't they just jump on the next car then or would it happen tomorrow uh, instead of today should they avoid cars for the rest of their life and so so uh, and it's so difficult uh, which say which practical implications these things have uh, uh, and i uh, know many psychics uh, uh, suffer from that problem uh, i have interviewed and also read quite a lot you know of the literature and uh, quite famous psychic we had here in Norway. Uh, he had uh, that problem. Also famous Irish uh, psychic, uh, Sack Martin. He also tells about that uh, uh, say issue and problem there. So it's very, very difficult. So I have uh, uh, say landed for practical reasons for uh, on a very simple thing that you should use your intuition, what feels right. Uh, listen as carefully and as nuanced as possible to your intuition. Mm -hmm. I think that will the best guidance you will ever get. Because when we go into this, uh, the construction are so complex and we are not guaranteed that we reach the right conclusion. So what will be the right course of action, I think, uh, um, uh, intuition is, is the tool to develop. Hmm. I tend to look at it as all courses of action are the correct one. Excuse me. I, I kind of look at it as like all courses of action are the correct one. Uh -huh. That, that okay. there can't be a wrong one. That's a good one. Yeah. It, it, it goes back to that probability thing that, that, that yeah. all these probabilities have to play out in order for mm. the puzzle to be complete. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's uh, that is also an old esoteric uh, uh, thought. If you read, uh, there's a famous Kabbalistic novel from the old Prague, Praha in Czechia, made by Gustav uh, Meyrick. It's called Golem, and there you have one guy who he's trying to to live that way. Uh, <laughs> uh, and you know, because everything has to happen, and then he should not hinder anything, because then it will just be one other turn of the karmic wheel. So he could just as well go with the flow totally now. But uh, as the quite uh, famous uh, Nobel Prize winning Jewish author Isaac Bashevis Singer, he he, um, uh, he said, I think it was even in his. Uh, uh, Nobel lecture. He won the Nobel Prize in Literature, I think it was 1986 or thereabout. And he is quite inspired by the Kabbalah. And uh, he said uh, there was a question from, uh, <laughs> from, uh, from, you know, from the Ailes. Uh, Mr. Singer, in your books, you portray uh, man as being, uh, uh, say, what is called controlled by destiny. But at the same time, you always appear to man's free will. How is that possible? How can you explain that contradiction? And then he said, you know, he was a kind of funny guy and loving the paradox. And so, uh, so I'll try to phrase it correctly here. We have to believe in free will. We have no choice. <laughs> that's, that's the perfect answer <laughs> isn't it <laughs> that's great yeah so i like that yeah do you think that um 
these type of topics like like some people will say that they're 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 strictly um scientific or conscious related mm-hmm. and then other people will say they are spiritually related yeah now i mean me personally i, I think that the two have to go together as much um in order for for any of this stuff to work would you agree mm. with that uh, uh, as I said, if we somehow say apply the old and uh, Indian Vedanta perspective, where spirit is is um, the basic stuff of the universe, where is the contradiction? There is none. Exactly. So I tend to think of that uh, uh, things that way. Um, do you think that there are? Um, people in the world who do not want human beings to reach their true potential of course of course and uh i you know that might be be sinister reasons for that but mostly it's fear i think you know i i i grow up in a christian community uh here in our little town it's kind of the norwegian bible belt and and you know um in some uh christian communities i i had friends in different uh uh, say what is kind of I don't know what would be the uh, say English word for that, but uh, you have different uh, branches. You have Pentecost, you have Baptist, yeah, you have yeah, Lutheran, yeah. you have mm-hmm. Catholic. You know uh, what is called the confessions, is it perhaps? Um, well, uh, so uh, some of my friends they were kind of uh, uh, very skeptical towards this. Uh, you know, Seventh Day Adventist, a good friend of mine, my best friend in in, in high school, uh, and they has somehow thought these things could easily be from the devil you know so they would of course not develop these things themselves and they would not cheer on other people going into meditation and uh, (laughs) and and that kind of experiments Um, in my own uh, community there was a kind of uh, double standard there because if you had prayed to god for healing and that healing occurred then you would say it's god's will and it's a good thing and so that could be, and it's called uh, uh, the, the, uh, Paul in his letters. He calls it Nordegav, Norwegian, the uh, gifts of grace. I think it is, uh, and then it's you know it's uh, glossalia, it's prophetic speech, it's healing, and so different kind of things. Paul uh, gives a litany of that is the, say the fruits of the spirit also. Uh, so so um, as long as you somehow uh, use the Christian frame and and prayer for it, they would be quite open to it but uh, suddenly there would be for instance a healer that was atheist or even you know uh, that was before we had Muslims uh, of any number here in in Norway but you know with people were on on, uh, from other congregations then it certainly was the work of the devil so and therefore they 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 somehow was very afraid of uh, occult traditions and uh, esoteric philosophy uh, but my own way uh, to uh, to a broaden perspective I, I found that uh, very often that would be a limited thing because there could be for instance a famous preacher we had one here in Norway. He was quite famous, uh, Hans Bratterud, uh, and he had learned from this uh, 
television uh, evangelists in the, the U.S. and tried to practice the same thing here in Norway. And he, you know, he could uh, pray for uh, getting a new pair of shoes. And suddenly, right before the party he was to attend, there was a new pair of shoes in his postbox. And I do not really have to doubt this. But, you know, for his, that's somehow functioned for him as a justification of his theology mm -hmm. and uh, that he was a man of God and so and so and so. But, you know, that that uh, I don't buy that. Uh, so I believe that the shoes were there in his postbox. But, uh, you know, we all know, uh, uh, regrettably, there are poor people in 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 parts of the world praying for rain for 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 their crops for instance and do not get rain and they are even christian african christians in several places i have friends growing up in africa and told me about that they pray for rain but don't get rain so should i be really believe that the priority list of god was giving this preacher a new pair of shoes but <laughs> not giving rain to the poor you know, I, I can't believe in that. Right. So I uh, no. So I needed to get other explanation, explanatory models, and then I started to, to read uh, esoteric traditions and uh, and you know uh, also parapsychology. And there we can say okay, because this uh, guy had spent uh, many hours perhaps in prayer, uh, he would have sent out a strong telepathic signal, and probably some being uh, affiliated with him in the congregation also being in prayer perceived uh, that ah hans is needing a pair of shoes or something like that you know uh, many many stories of that kind have happened i would not say on a deep deep level that god cannot be involved in that kind of things so i will not say that but immediately rush to the conclusion aha here is god acting on behalf of my wish but as i said uh, other people needing it far, far, far more don't get a drop of rain, you know. So, so the, the, the models from the esoteric traditions and also parapsychology uh, uh, are much better uh, to avoid kind of conclusions. Uh, say you go to a healer and you are a, a devout Christian and you don't get healed, then you can easily say, draw the conclusion that. God does not like you or something like that, you know, if another one in your community has got healed by the same healer. So, but that need not be the case. That can be the communication or the healer could have a bad day or lots of trivial explanations. But people t tend to a bit to spiritualize these things too much, you know. So, as I said, deep, deep down, I think it's God in, in uh, and you said every possibility somehow is kind of a manifestation or perhaps even a necessary manifestation of the divine, if we go very profound here. But say for all practical purposes, I, I, I will not say that God gives this preacher a new pair of excuse, but say, no, sorry, I don't have any rain spare for you guys uh, in Africa. You know, I don't, I, I, I don't buy that. <laughs> I don't buy that either. <laughs> <laughs> it's a relief to hear. Thanks. <laughs> um, so, so your book is about the history of paranormal. Mm -hmm. Do you plan on writing a book about the future? of paranormal uh one famous professor in parapsychology uh, whose experiments I, I i quote in my book uh, adrian parker he's an english guy working in sweden uh he uh, he uh, wanted me also to to write about that but you know the historian's task is to write history and that's what i do really i suggest possible 
uh, say, uh, models that could be developed into fruitful explanatory models uh, for, for uh, parapsychology and such things. But as I said, uh, I'm a historian by education and also very, very interesting uh, when you look to the history and why uh, were these uh, phenomena forbidden to talk about in academia and so on, so on, so on. So I try to map that history and it has, as I said, implication for the future, but I, I am not, I'm not a prophet. Right. But history does repeat itself. Well, you know, uh, there's a very famous uh, Norwegian writer. I don't know if she's, uh, she won the Nobel Prize a uh, uh, hundred years ago or so. Her name is Sigrid Unset. Well, uh, and she said, times, they are changing, but the human heart is always the same. So there might be modifications to that statement, but at least they are much of the same. You know, fear, jealousy, hope joy, love, and so that is shared all over the globe, in my view, at least. So, so, and therefore we will get many of the same results in the same, uh, in the different uh, traditions and with the different peoples. What is your opinion of occultists? Do you think occultists are playing with something that they shouldn't be? Um, or do you think that um, what they're doing is beneficial to paranormal and parapsychology. Uh, depends on uh, if they are black uh, or white. Um, I have some fondness for one uh, one uh, occult lodge called Servants of the Light. I uh, a very famous uh, fantasy novelist uh, called Herbie Brennan. He's quite high up in that order. And, uh, you know, that is, uh, does not mean that I subscribe to every kind of the teach, uh, every of the teachings or, or practices, but, you know, it, it seems to be a good intention of serving the light, you know, as long uh, and the Buddha said uh, to one of his disciples once, intention, intention, intention. Yes. So, it, yes, as long as your intention is good, I think you, that will work as a talisman for you and guide you and, and be a compass. But if your intention is power and you have so, some kind of inferiority complex and you go into occultism to somehow compensate for that, and you know that's just like going to a karate dojo or to, 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 to learn tricks and beat up people in the street, that is not very nice and not very spiritual. So, <laughs> so, uh, uh, for instance, guys like Alistair Crowley and that kind of gray to dark occultist, I'm not very for. Of course, they might have insights how these, uh, say, abilities and capacities work by all means, but uh, their intention by using them uh, is not uh, uh, to my taste. Uh, we had a great psychic here in Norway. He passed away some months ago. He was a healer and extremely clairvoyant, and he had... Uh, uh, found missing people for the police, for the Red Cross, and you can, uh, the, the biggest newspapers uh, quote uh, some, uh, you know, avalanche experts that confirming he has really found people being miles and miles away from the place where these uh, avalanches happened and such things. And he also healed people for, uh, um, he have had close to 50,000 visitors in his home, never taking any payment. And he has been researched by at least seven doctors who confirm that his healings, at least some of them are for real and that they would not have been able to do the same healings, you know. Uh, so about such a guy, 
helping people, uh, you know, uh, making closures for missing uh, family of missing person, healing peoples with ailments for, say, many decades, uh, 50,000 people visiting for free. You know, that's white occultism. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, one of the things I, 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 I kind of think about the occult is that uh, any occult or magical working, um, mm. or or even knowledge, is not going to make itself available until the original intent is in line with the actual working. Very good point. Uh, I, I I was reminded now. I have studied a bit. Uh, also written about the Jewish esotericism and uh, <laughs> you know many of the Jewish websites where you can study Judaism they have uh, asked the rabbi uh, mm -hmm. say page and uh, you pose a question to the rabbi and, and get some answers and uh, there was uh, one guy he was asking the rabbi about the Kabbalah and uh, and you know Madonna the famous pop uh, singer uh, and artist she has been quite uh, devout uh, Kabbal uh, Kabbalist uh, but this guy asking the rabbi he was not somehow convinced that she was really into it you know he she perhaps she was just uh, flirting with it uh it's a uh, superficial and so and was she not somehow she then defiling the secrets of kabbalah with her say rather superficial approach that was his question to the rabbi or the rabbi you know you could feel he was a, a wise man <laughs> and uh, he the rabbi quoted something like you just said that uh, that uh, this the secrets uh, will not somehow uh, be revealed before it's in, in alignment with the intention and the whole person and he concluded his remark it was a wonderful comment he said so the secret of Ka the kabbalah Stay safe with Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> I think that's true. I think until until you're ready to understand it, it's going to stay hidden. And that's just how it is. Mm. Um, so before we wrap this up, I want to thank you for being on, first of all. And Thanks, second, um, where can my listeners find you and find your book? Well, I suggest a, uh, the most easy is to go to Amazon and uh, Amazon.com and there it is. And there is also lots of endorsement. I should perhaps be allowed to make a little, a little ad for it also. It has won mm -hmm. two prizes in, in, in the US. It has won the Parapsychology, uh, uh, Parapsychological Association Book Award, which is quite prestigious. And it has also won... Uh, uh, Nautilus uh, Silver Award, which is a prize that also has been won by the Dalai Lama some years back. So I'm quite proud of both those prizes. Congratulations. So, thank you. Thank you. I was very happy and, uh, and, and moved by that. So, so and also lots of, uh, uh, say, uh, competent people recommending the book. I think it's, uh, you know, I try to, 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 to be funny and be a bit spinner of mm -hmm. yarns and uh, raconteur as well so it's not uh, it's not science in the form of statistics and equations and all that kind of things i, I present stories anecdotes and do some scientific uh, uh, reflections around them and also say show uh, laboratory uh, research that somehow substantiates uh, these anecdotal uh, funny entertaining stories with celebrities and mostly most of the stories are based on uh, experiences by 
different kind of scientists, uh, historians and archaeologists making uh, spectacular finds by clairvoyants and uh, psychologists having uh, telepathic experiences with their clients and that kind of things, you know. So, so I, I'm trying to both be see entertain uh, and uh, I must have to say my writing is far better than my speaking. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, your speaking is also fascinating. Uh, but the TH sound is terrible for a guy like me. <laughs> Should I also be allowed to repeat the name of the book? Yes. Yes. It is a short history of nearly everything paranormal. Our secret powers, telepathy, clairvoyance, and precognition. And my name is Talia Simons. You might want to spell that for the listeners. Oh, the first name is so difficult. Uh, so uh, perhaps just go for the last. If they go to Simonson, that would be S-I-M-O-N-S-E-N. All right. So what I'll do, too, is I'm going to post a link to your book on Amazon in the notes of this episode so my listeners Beautiful. can find it, because I'm sure they're going to be interested in purchasing it. Thanks a lot, Gary. Thanks a lot. Yes, this was great. Well, thank you for being on. I, this was a great conversation. I enjoyed it a lot. Me too. <laughs> and hang on for one second, and it's going to play the outro.